This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Good evening. How are we? Yes, one, one. We're going we're gonna to up that number one day to like four, and then it's going to be eight, and we're going to have a good dialogue here one day. It's going to happen. I believe in it. Believe in it. So uh, just a quick update. So our team that is in Southeast Asia made it safely, uh, and so let's continue to pray for them. Yeah, for sure. Let's pray for them. They'll get back Saturday. Uh, and so Again, this is our, our first team that's gone internationally. And so we believe, I mean, the Bible shows us from the very, God's heart is for the nations. If God's heart wasn't for the nations, this nation wouldn't have God because we were the outsiders. And so um, God's heart is for all people. And so we don't want to just be about here. We want to be about all people in all places. And so we're, we're, we're exploring where God would have us internationally partner uh, so that we can join others in taking the name of Jesus to people who haven't heard it yet. And so uh, be praying for them. Uh, they get back again on, on Saturday. Uh, so Psalm 103 is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible, uh, please, I invite you to turn to it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got some in the back. Mark is sitting back there eager to, to hand it out to you. Just give him a little like, hey, oh, right here, Mark, um, and he will bring you a Bible. If you don't own one, please take it with you. Uh, and then if you know someone who doesn't have one, take it and give it away. Again, we... Uh, we're going to anchor everything we do on, on these words. Um, our words, our thoughts, our efforts are going to fall short. Uh, God doesn't. And so we want, we want to anchor our lives into what he says. And so that's where we always want to come from. Here, here's what's true, I think, uh, of people, is that as people, we can observe things from a distance. We can study things, we can see things, and we can be impressed with them, right? So like I can watch a professional golfer hit a golf shot and think, man, that's pretty good. And then I can go out there myself, Xander knows, and try to hit the same shot, and it takes me 14 shots to hit the same one, right? And then I'm like, gosh, this is really impressive, right? So I can observe it, and, and, and I can understand and be impressed, and then I can experience something firsthand of how great that actually was, and my, my level of awe goes up, right? It, it happens with um, the Grand Canyon. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? One person? Seriously? Okay, th- there we go, there we go. Now the hands are going up, right? So you can see a picture of something like that, and that's impressive. Like, photographers do a great job. And then you can stand on the edge of it and find yourself struggling for words, right? Find yourself just kind of in awe of, of this. Um, for me, one of the things that, that does it is, is mountains. Uh, Mount Rainier is a mountain that, that impresses me. And so I think we have a picture of, of Mount Rainier. Um, maybe if I sent it in correctly. Yeah, perfect. So that's an impressive thing, right? So you can look at it and just be like, good gracious, that is, that is something else, right? And then there's a whole nother level of experiencing it. So I flew into Seattle, gosh, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, and I was looking out the window, and, and I'm watching, like we're flying above the clouds, and so I'm just looking at the clouds, right? And it's like, oh, this is great. And then I see this other cloud, I'm like, man, I think it's, what is happening? It's like this cloud just kind of protruding through the other clouds, and then I realized, no, that's a mountain, like, that is, a, that is a mountain that we're just flying alongside of, and it's as high as we are in a plane. And so I think we then have an image of, um, like, are you kidding me, right? Like, so you can see a picture, and then you can experience it, and I literally just couldn't stop looking at it, because I just thought it was a cloud, but no, it's not. It's a mountain going above the clouds, uh, that it's just, it kind of moves you to a different level of awe. 
when you experience something firsthand and tangibly. And, and that's how it is with God. That's how it is with worship of God, right? Like we can worship God just based on who he is objectively. Like we can be impressed with him. We can, we can hear stories about him. We can sing songs about him. But then when we experience him, right, when firsthand we encounter the living God, our lives can never be the same. Like they're, they're transformed. Something happens when we see God. Job, at the end of Job he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you with my eyes. Therefore, my heart repents in dust and ashes. Like there's this thing of worshiping and knowing God. And then when we see him, like when we encounter firsthand who God is, it changes us. That's what we see in Psalm 103 with David. We see him blessing God because of who God is. But then we also see God recounting, or David recounting what God has done for him, and it moves his heart to worship. That's my hope for us tonight. That's my hope, is that we will see who God is, and we will praise him for that, but then firsthand we will encounter God's benefits in our lives, and that our hearts will be moved to worship him with everything that we have. That, that's my hope. That's my hope for us tonight. Psalm 103. So David starts and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. If you, if you jump down to verse 20 and 20, uh, through 22, you see that this psalm is, is bookended with this command. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Right out of the gate in the end of the psalm, it's bookended with this command to bless the Lord. In seminary, they taught, you, they taught me that to, to when, when reading the Bible, look for the verbs, right? Like look for the verbs that, that tell us and, and give us instruction on how to live. And even more so, look for the imperatives, the, the command verbs, Right? So not like a, hey, think about this, but like, no, do this. And, and that's what these verbs are. It's the command imperative. Bless the Lord. The word bless means to speak well of, to declare to be good. Some, some uh, translations can define it to kneel in adoration of. So the command in this psalm is to bless the Lord, praise him, declare him to be good. But not just with your words, right? David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. So David's urging, pleading, he's talking within himself. He's, he's, he's writing in his journal, right? He's, he's sitting down for his time with the Lord. He's, he's speaking to himself, and he's like, soul, bless the Lord and everything within you. All of my thoughts, may they praise God. All of my words, may they praise God. All of my heart's affections, may they praise God. All of my hand's activities, may they praise God. May everything within me, all of me, bless the Lord. That's the command. That's what David is urging himself towards. I think so often we, we bring this half-hearted worship. We, we bring this, I'll give God part of, of who I am to you. To a God who holds no parts back for us, we, we offer a part of ourselves, right? Like we like, to, we like to section off 
where we follow God. Like, we'll, we'll do it here, but man, once I leave here, once I get to the office, once I get around my roommates, once I get in this scenario, right, like, I, I kind of check out the, the, the part of me that follows Christ. Once I, I go out on the weekends, once I, I find this, this movie, once I get on the internet, right, like, like I kind of check my Christianity at the door. And, and David's saying, no, all of me at all times to heartfelt give worship, an unrestrained, full, passionate worship to God. As we were reading in the 30 by 30 in Mark 7, and I was reminded of, of God's distaste for kind of the flippant In Mark 7, Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus warns the Pharisees, and he says, you hypocrites. You do an amazing job of, of verbally praising God, on the outside doing what it takes to look like you're praising God, but your heart, all that is within you, is far from him. It's not a genuine worship. It's not a, a genuine praise. And the Lord hates that. Countless times in the Old Testament, he's like, shut it down. Don't even do it. Don't bring me this heartless praise. And David's pleading with himself, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And let me just tell you, be honest, right? Like, I think it's okay to come in here, and we say this all the time, it's okay to not be okay. If you're coming in here, and you're like, man, my heart is not in it, okay, don't try to fake it. Don't, like, be honest with where you are, but, it, but it's not okay to stay there, right? It's okay to not be okay, but let's not stay there together. Let, let's not stay there. Let's, let's confess and repent and move forward in the freedom that God has us, right? Let's, let's step into where we are. And so I wanted to take a minute as we continue on, I just wanted to, to practice that of really posturing our hearts before the Lord. David prayed in Psalm 139, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the path of everlasting. And so let's do that. Let's take a second. This may be weird for you. This may be awkward. Just hang out. But I just want to invite you, would you join David in that prayer and just invite God to search your heart to know that if you're here in sincerity, in genuine worship, to know that if your heart genuinely wants to lift him up, and if not, let God expose that and then confess it. Lay it down before him and repent and return to worship. So let's just take a second. Close your eyes, and, and, and between you and God, would you ask him to search your heart, to try your thoughts, to see if there's any part within you that does not worship him in sincerity?
God, I confess that my heart is prone to wander. I'm prone to look inward for my mind to be on things of this earth and not on things of you. And so, God, I confess that and I ask you to restore to me the joy of salvation, that I would full-heartedly worship you. In Christ we ask, amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. That's the command. That's what David is, is urging himself to do. Bless the Lord. Why? Why should we praise God tonight? Right? Like, why should we open his word? Why should we sing? Why should we praise? Why should we give lives of worship? For two reasons. One, for who he is. He's worth it. Period. Done. Two, for what he has done. We praise God for who he is and for what he's done. That's what David does. That's where he goes to. So let's look and let's see who is the God that David is praising. If we jump down to verse 6, we'll come back to verses 3 through 5. If we jump down to verse 6, we start to see who this God is, who the Lord is that David is praising. He says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, praise God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So as David is, is writing in his journal, right, as, he's, as he's praying and he's urging his soul to praise God, he goes back to Moses and Israel. He reflects back on who the Lord is and who the Lord has demonstrated himself to be years ahead of him. He goes back to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and, six and 7 this is where, where David goes back to. It reads, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Sound familiar? Keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. David, when he's thinking back to who the Lord is, he goes back to Exodus 34. And the key to know in this, the key to note, is that the Lord is a God who does not give us what we deserve, but rather gives us what we don't deserve. That's what we see in Exodus 34. Fun fact, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the most quoted verse in the Bible. So other authors and parts of the Bible quote Exodus 34 more than any other verse in the Bible. So you see it with Jonah, you see it with Nehemiah, you see it with David, you see it with Micah, you see it with Paul. They're going back to Exodus 34 as their foundational bedrock for who the Lord is. So you're going to find this verse, again, quoted more often in any other book in the Bible than any other verse. It's the Old Testament, John 3, 16. Like, it is what people went back to. I'm like, who is the Lord? They went back to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. They see that the Lord is a God who doesn't give what we deserve, but gives what we don't deserve. So to understand a little more of this, of the weight 
We need to know what's happening in Exodus 34. Like, how did we get to this declaration of who God is? So the beginning of Exodus, we, we come onto the scene, and Israel is slaves to Egypt. No freedoms, they're under oppression. But the Lord hears, the Lord sees, he moves in action. It says here, right, that the Lord, he, he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So you've got this, this nation who are slaves to the Egyptians, but God moves near in action to rescue them. And so he, he flexes his muscle, and that's where we see the, the ten plagues, right? That's where we, we, we know what God did to deliver Moses and the nation of Israel out of Egypt. What's crazy about this is as God is working, the Israelites are complaining. Like, they don't like how God's doing it. They're like, man, this is not going the way we thought. Like, let's, can God just kill this? This is too much. We just like to stay as slaves. Nonetheless, God rescues them from Egypt. They did nothing on their own. They walk out of Egypt free, and then they start complaining again. They get to the Red Sea, and they're like, oh, great, now we're going to die here. We should have just died in Egypt. You didn't have to walk all this way, God. What are you doing? And then God sends Moses, and he steps into the Red Sea, and he parts the Red Sea. And, and the Israelites walk through on dry land. And then as the Egyptian army comes to attack them, God closes the water back over the Egyptian army, rescuing and saving Israel. You'd think, right, like they would look back on the Red Sea, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That God has done all of this. No, they start complaining. They don't like their food options. And so they start grumbling about the lack of food, and so God sends them food. And you'd think, like, oh, they got it now. No, they start complaining more. Like, where's the water? We need some fresh water. And so God sends them fresh water. And so you see over and over and over again a grumbling, self-centered, egotistical people, and yet God moves near and rescues them in kindness and love. And he makes this promise in Exodus 19. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for the earth is mine. God, he steps into this almost wedding ceremony, and he says, hey, I'm committing to you. Will you commit to me? And Israel, and in verse 19, verse 8, all the people answered together and said, yes, we're in. We're in. God says, I'll commit to you. Israel says, I'll commit to you. And, and they're, they're following each other, right? Well, then Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai to receive the, the law from God. This is where we get the Ten Commandments. We get how God wants his people to live. Well, apparently Moses has gone too long, and Israel starts to freak out, and so they go to Aaron. They're like, Aaron, hey, Moses is gone. This God, we don't know what happened to him. We need a God to worship. So Aaron's like, hey, idea. Bring me all of your gold earrings and jewelry. Let's throw it in this fire and melt it down. And then he fashions a golden calf, and he's like, here's your God. Let's worship this God. Like, this is who saved you and rescued you. Worship this golden calf. God's like, Moses, you better get down there. They're out, of, they're out of control. So Moses goes down the hill. He's furious. He throws the tablets of the Ten Commandments down. They shatter. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, in such a short amount of time, yes, God, we love you. We're going to follow you. And then you're walking away? And yet God tells them still, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you what I promised, but I'm not going with you. And Moses is like, no, no, no. If you're not going to be with us, we don't want to go. And God's like, okay, I'll go. Let me ask you this. Food for thought. If God promised you everything that you desired, 
prosperity, health, family, career, everything that your heart wanted. If God was like, all right, it's going to be yours, but I'm not going to be a part of it, would you take it? If God promised you heaven, but he's like, I'm not going to be there, would you take it? See, the treasure that Moses starts to realize when God says, hey, I'll give you everything, but I'm not going to be there, Moses is like, no, you're not giving us anything then. Because the treasure is the presence of God. That's heaven. Heaven without the presence of God is not heaven. Everything on this earth apart from God is nothing. So Moses starts to realize that. So I think, what, what about you? If he offered you everything but said, I'm not going to be there, would you take it? God says, I'll go with you. Moses, he's like, God, who are you? Who does this? Right? Like, this is not how people treat people. Like, you don't give them a, a second and third and fifth and seventh and tenth chance. Like, who, who continues to come back to a people that walks away and betrays and rejects you? And God's like, hey, let's go up to the mountain again. I'll tell you who I am. I'll tell you why I do this. And that's when he says, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. See, what Moses learned and what David sees of who God is is that the reason God continues to move near to a selfish, narcissistic, egotistical people who betray their God is because of who God is. He is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. It's not because of who the people are. It's because of who God is that he continues to move near and he continues to give what we don't deserve. He's merciful and gracious. You may, may seem those words mean the same, but mercy is compassion. It's a heart that is moved in empathy towards people. It, it, it restrains frustration and it moves in empathy and compassion and sympathy towards people. Grace is then the active movement of kindness, right? So, so mercy has compassion towards someone and then grace actively moves forward to do something about that. So the Lord is merciful, merciful. he has compassion, but he's not just going to feel it, he's going to do something about it. So he's merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger. His mercy restrains his anger, it holds it back. So rather than, than jumping off the gun and being anger, rightfully so, he holds it back. And rather he gives abounding steadfast love. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. David says in verse 13, he's like a father who shows compassion to a child. He knows Israel. He looks at Israel and he has compassion because he knows. They're, like, they're, they're weak, they're frail, they can't do it on their own. They, they, they can't see far enough ahead. They don't know, understand, so he has compassion on them. I think about my kids. Man, I wish I was like this more often. Miles, he's uh, four, right? Four. We have four of them, right? The fourth, you just guess. And so he's four. And, and so he's in a habit of coming into our room in the middle of the night, right? Because he's legit scared. 
And so if I am being a father like God, then my heart would be moved to compassion. More often than not, my heart is moved by frustration and anger because he's interrupting my sleep. I mean, there's just straight times where it's embarrassing as a father how I respond, like my frustration and anger, because I'm not merciful, I'm, I'm angry. Like, you're interrupting what I want. You're messing with my sleep schedule. But if I'm merciful, then grace moves in action and, and comforts him in his fear and gently puts him back in bed, cares for him. God is merciful and he's gracious. He doesn't treat us how we deserve. So verse 10 says, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Man, I think about just the times where I've been wronged. And everything within me wants to be like, all right, I'm out, peace, done. Kill it, I'm out. Or, or respond with retribution or anger or bitterness. And yet God doesn't treat us the way that we deserve. We walk away from him time and time and time again. The Israel betrayed their faithfulness to God. Not even two months later, they're worshiping another lover, and yet God moves near and doesn't treat them how they deserve. Because of who he is. He's abounding in steadfast love. And not just like in a little bit. Like I love that you've got this faithful, enduring, steadfast love. Like that's one way to describe it. But then you throw that superlative, abounding, that adjective that even further describes the type of love that God has for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. I read this thing because I'm always fascinated by it, that, that it would take... If you hopped in a car right now and started driving towards the furthest point that the Hubble telescope has ever seen, at 500 miles per hour nonstop, it would take 20 quadrillion years. Nonstop, 500 miles per hour. Like, that's just as far as we've seen. And God says that his love is higher than the heavens. Like, it goes further than we can measure. It's immense that he forgives as far as the east is from the west. That doesn't mean that God forgets. It means that God so far separates our sins that he does not see us through the lens of our sins. Praise God, right? If God were to treat me through the lens of what I've done wrong, even if I made atonement up to this point, we're going to start over again later tonight. Tomorrow but he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west, that they're non-existent to the way that he treats us and moves near toward us in grace and in compassion. This is who God is. Is that he doesn't give us what we deserve, which is anger and wrath. And on the other side, he gives us what we don't deserve, which is abundant love. So David, he sees this, right? And he's like, this is who God is. But then he takes it and he says, and this is what God has done for me. And you see that in verse 3. Well, let's go back to verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity. So this is David talking to himself. Corey, he forgives all of your iniquity. Don't forget that. 
for he heals all of your diseases. Don't forget that. He redeems your life from the pit. Don't forget. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Don't forget that. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed. Don't forget what the Lord has done for you. I don't know what David's thinking about. It doesn't say. We can look back into the Psalms, though, and get a picture, maybe. I imagine maybe he's thinking about the time he wrote Psalm 51. After he had taken Bathsheba, who was not his wife. And then he committed conspiracy and murdered her husband and the other men in the army around him to cover it up. And yet still, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Cleanse me. Maybe that's what David was thinking about when he said, don't forget that he forgives all of your iniquity. Maybe he was thinking about, too, the time when his son Absalom turned on him and wanted to kill him. That his own son hated him so much he was trying to kill him. And David loved his son and didn't want harm to come to him, but in a time where war took place and where time violence took place, his son Absalom was killed, and it broke him. Absolutely devastated David. He was crushed. He writes in Psalm 40 after that, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He picked me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he, he set my feet on a rock, and he made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Maybe that's what David's thinking of when he says that he, he heals all of your diseases, that he redeems your life from the pit, that he takes our, our dark night and he totally turns it for good and redeems it, that he takes our, our brokenness and he leverages that for good. He redeems our life from the pit. Maybe he was thinking about Psalm 63 when he said your steadfast love is better than life. And he's just thinking how God crowns him, that he, he blesses him and covers him with love. You see, David knew that this God of Exodus 34 was also the same God to him who forgave his iniquities, healed him, redeemed him, satisfied his soul with good. So what about us, though? I mean, we're a few thousand years from this, right? Like, what do we do with this book? Was this just true for them, or do we do something today with it? Does this matter for us today? Are we called, like David, to bless the Lord for who he is and for what he has done? Does this apply to us? I think one of the things that's important for us to note is the conditional nature of God's love. Yes, I said God's love. See that, right? So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Like his love is for those who worship him and who are in awe of him. He said in Exodus 34, if you go back to that, right, that, that he is merciful and gracious and, and uh, abounding in love and slow to anger. But, and he's going to forgive sins, but he's also going to punish the guilty because he's just. 
that, that this is, these benefits are for those who keep his covenant and do his commandments. So that should do something in us because last I checked, I'm not the greatest at keeping his covenant and doing his commandments. So how does this apply to us? How do we get to receive these benefits? Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 21 through 26, he gives us our answer, and he gives us the reason that we praise and bless God. It says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have broken the covenant. All of us have walked away from his commandments. All of us are just like Israel. Man, we can't even make it 40 days before we're walking away from God. All of us, David, we got our record of sin. We've got our, our list of debts. All of us have sinned and fallen short of his standard and his expectation, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so listen, God is who he is, and his benefits are for us, but it's conditional. It's absolutely conditional, and none of us live up to the standard which is why Christ came in our place to meet the conditions on our behalf. So that God is still just. God expects perfection from you and me. He expects us to keep that covenant perfectly. Jesus came and he kept that covenant perfectly. He lived the perfect life in our And then now we're supposed to be punished for our sins. God is going to punish the guilty. Well, Jesus came and he suffered that punishment in our place. And then in the resurrection, Jesus stands alive as God, and he offers us an exchange. That, that he will take our record of sin and give us his perfect record. That he will take our sins and give us his righteousness so that we can meet the conditions. Not because we did it, but because he did it in our place. So these benefits from God, that our sins can be forgiven. Not because we can forgive our sins, but because Jesus forgave our sins on the cross that our diseases can be healed, that one day everything is going to be fixed and we're going to be made right through Jesus who comes and makes us his own, who brings us home, that we can be redeemed from the pit, that our life can be leveraged for good, that everything can be turned to work for the glory of God. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, that the love of God is demonstrated through Jesus, and that by faith in him we receive the full love of God. He satisfies us with good. That he is what gives us the fullness of life. And so the, the, the benefits that David blessed God for are ours to be had in Jesus. That is why we bless him. That is why we praise him, because he is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love, and he demonstrates that to us through Jesus who came and did everything in our place that we could have life. And now our hearts are called to praise him in response to that. That is why we bless him. Because that is who he is. That is what he does for us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, 
Bless the Lord. Have you seen, have you seen God? Have you encountered him through Jesus? Have you received the forgiveness of sins? It's offered that by faith we'd be made right. Not by works, but by the work of Jesus on our behalf. This is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord for who he is and what he has done for us through Jesus. That's our command. That's our call. Let's bless him together. God, we, we do praise you. Together as a church, we pray, we praise you, and we thank you. Not because we are anything incredible on our own, but because of what you've done to, made us, to make us yours. That you don't give us what we deserve, but you give us what we don't deserve. You give us grace and love. You forgive our sins. You make us right. Holy Spirit, speak to us and open our eyes to see. Like Job, let us see you, God. Experience your presence. May we not just cognitively know about you, but God, allow us to experientially know you. We bless you and praise you, God, for who you are and for what you have done. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.